Welcome to the Mission Inspire podcast, a production of the National Medal of Honor Museum and Monument. On today's episode, our inaugural episode, we are discussing the very timely topic of character education and patriotism and the way that Medal of Honor recipients have continued to serve in their civilian lives beyond the actions that earned them the medal. Our very special guest today, very special on so many different levels. Um, he's a board member of the National Medal of Honor Museum. He's a Medal of Honor recipient. Um, he's an all-around incredible individual, General Patrick Brady. As a dust-off pilot, helicopter pilot in Vietnam, General Brady was responsible for saving hundreds of lives as he put his own life at risk under heavy fire, evacuating wounded troops and allied forces from the front lines. You can and should read all about his Medal of Honor actions on our website, mohmuseum.org. President Nixon presented General Brady the Medal of Honor in 1969. Pat continued to serve in the military until he retired in 1993. But like so many Medal of Honor recipients, his service to our country didn't end there. And that's the focus of our episode today. General Brady, welcome to the Mission Inspire podcast. Happy to be with you. It's really great to have you here. I, I just have to say that General Brady was one of the very first voices before this, uh, before I joined this effort to create the Medal of Honor Museum um, in the heartland of this country. Uh, General Brady was advocating for Texas, and uh, I should have listened to him two years ago, but it, we got around to it, and we're we're here in North Texas in Arlington, and a lot of that is because of, of the general's advocacy for this incredible state. I know you remember that, right, General? I do, I do. Um, general, there's some larger-than-life individuals who receive the Medal of Honor, and you've had the chance to get to, go, to know many of them really well. Tell us a little bit about some of the recipients you did get to know, that you've gotten to know, and do you have any favorite stories about them? I think one of the great thrills of my life was... Uh, uh, some of the individuals who I've been able to meet as, as a uh, member of the Medal of Honor Society. When we were in the White House, the day that there were four of us that were awarded the medal, unlike the way they do it today, we were on the South Lawn and there were about 5,000 people there. And uh, now they do it inside, much different, much smaller ceremony. But the president said to us, uh, would you guys like to meet with the Congressional Medal of Honor Society? And we said, what's that? And they, he said, now that you have the medal, you will be a member of that society. And they're having their convention at the Shamrock Hotel, I think it was, in Houston. And we said, gee whiz, we're sure we'd like to go. But how are we going to get there? And he said, well, why don't you just take Air Force One? So he put us on his airplane. It wasn't Air Force One with us on it, but it was Air Force something. It was his plane. And we walked into that convention in Houston. Uh, I'll never, never forget it. Uh, the entertainment was Bob Hope. Uh, and the uh, governor was there. All kinds of celebrities were there. Dinah Shore was also part of the entertainment. But the first guy that I met was Joe Foss. Joe Foss was a Marine fighter pilot in World War II. He and Pappy Boynton used to fight overhead who had the most kills, uh, but I think both of them had like something like 28 kills in the war. 
Joe then went on to become governor of South Dakota. He then became the first president of the American Football League. He had a hunting program on television. I actually got to go hunting with the guy. What a thrill. His wife, my God, Dee Dee, she killed it. It's, it's a one-shot antelope hunt in Lander, Wyoming. She killed an antelope from 650 yards. Wow. The, his wife. That's and so uh, also in that crowd was uh, other great heroes, Jimmy Doolittle, Eddie Rickenbacker. Now, these are people that Commando Kelly these are people that we had heard from in the military from the time we entered uh, from forever. And here we were, all of a sudden, they're introducing us to this massive crowd there and to these guys who had been our heroes for, for such a long time. And the society at that time, and in fact, as a matter of fact, to show you how far back, we actually had a Medal of Honor recipient from the Boxer Rebellion and there were a couple guys there from uh, the Indian Wars. Wow. And so he, as you might expect, us three young military were still on active duty, were kind of awestruck. But what these guys did and why this museum is so important is because it will address the values part of valor. They both come from the same root, Valerius or something in Latin, uh, but the more important part of, of the, the valor is the value side. What these guys took from the battlefield that allowed them to excel there, and they took it then into the rest of their life, and look what they did to America. I mean, if you look at some of the great things that have been done in this country, uh, they've been done by ex-Medal of Honor recipients, you might say. If you look up on Mount Rushmore, now there you see Teddy Roosevelt, the Medal of Honor recipient. This guy, he, did, he wasn't just president. He just wasn't a great warrior, but he opened the parks across America. All the park systems that we have in America are the result of this, this great man. Eddie Rickenbacker opened the, uh, was, was the uh, president of Eastern Airlines. Jimmy Doodle opened skies to, so what these guys did with their lives as American citizens was far more important than what they did in a few minutes on, in combat. That's incredible. When you talk about those names, I mean, there's some of the, the most awe-inspiring names in, in our country's history where we haven't been around that long as a nation. And I've always thought that one of the important reasons that we build this museum is to make sure that these stories and these names are not lost to history, that every successive generation, those names become less familiar. And one of the things that this museum is going to do is to make sure that these names aren't lost and that they're forever enshrined when you look at sort of what was the DNA of this country, not only of those who protected it, but of those that made it great after they earned their medal, like, like you said. What, what, do you, what do you see this museum's function as? Yeah, the, the uh, you know, as, as a part of the character development, I think somebody brought this up at our last board meeting to one of the smart guys on the board. He says, why are we calling this a museum? The, you know, it could be uh, the National Medal of Honor Education Center, the National Medal of Honor Learning Center, because it's, we want someone, a young person to walk in the front door of this museum, learning center, whatever the hell it is, and walk out the back door a different 
person. We want this museum to go beyond the metal to what these guys did with the value side and the valor. And uh, there are museums across this country that address the valor side. We've got the World War I Museum. We've got the Infantry Museum. We've got the World War II Museum. We've got Air Force Museum. We've got museums that address services and functions of services. But this museum will address all those services, all those wars from the Civil War on up, all those functions, every race, every religion, only one woman, but still all the things, uh, all, all the other things that those museums uh, do will be incorporated into this one. It'll be, it'll be the greatest education center in America. Now today, for example, and, we, and as we go out to these schools, uh, we find only one in six American students today, I'm told, is, can pass a fundamental uh, test on America's history. Actually, one out of seven of the students that we find as we go across this country today, they actually believe that America started World War II when we dropped the bomb on Japan. So they don't, they can't love this country if they don't know about this country. So very, very important that uh, we, we do this education, that we teach these people what a great country this is. Veterans, we don't believe we did America a favor by our service. We think God did us a favor by allowing us to be born in this great country. That's and true. we want all the young people to believe the same way so that they will become patriots so they will support and defend this country. You've got to have that. Pat, tell me, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about um, the story of when the Medal of Honor recipients and the society itself decided to make a part of uh, their mission giving back to communities as a as a group, I think it's a, it's very powerful, and I, I think our listeners he, hearing it from you would would be tremendous. When when I when I first joined the society, I I, I have to say that my great thrill was meeting those guys, those those great guys, and we were uh, we by charter we had to have one getting get together every two years, but ordinarily we got together every year. So when we got together, we partied. And I'm not kidding you. When you're partying with guys like Pappy Boynton and Commando Kelly, these guys were world-class partiers. So we would leave the convention uh, with a hangover. That's all. We never left anything behind. One year. And uh, it just so happened that I was the president of the society at that time. We went to Philadelphia for our convention. And the mayor of Philadelphia is a guy named Ed Rendell. He asked us to go on a drug march with him one evening. One evening, it's after midnight. And so a bunch of us recipients gathered with him and his police and whoever, and we went through the ghettos of Philadelphia and the stuff that was going on there was just frightening. And so we came back then, and the next day we went into a school, a high school. Now we didn't ordinarily do this, but we went into the high school. We had to go through a metal detector to get into that high school. And so we got to looking around and one, and we didn't have any money. We didn't have anything. And so, uh, in fact, we paid our way to go to our conventions. And so we, we looked around. We said, you know, we ought to leave something behind. We ought to, to leave something behind other than just our hangover. 
And so the guys in the society then after that started to think about what can we do to leave something behind? Should we go visit with the veterans hospital? Should we go out and talk to the kids in the schools? And somewhere around there, we formed a foundation, Medal of Honor Foundation, one of the most powerful foundations in the world. And they provide us with the resources to develop a character development program, which uh, is online, it's free, and it has lesson plans and POIs, and it interviewed over 120, many of them dead now. Obviously, we've only got 69 left. Uh, Medal of Honor recipients, and they, they incorporated that into the lesson plans and the POIs and sent it into the classrooms across America. So for the last... 15 years, uh, we don't go to a city. We don't go anywhere where we don't leave something behind. We spend time with the veterans in their hospitals, veterans outreach programs. We go into classrooms, uh, middle school, high school, even I'm going to Hillsdale College in a couple of weeks. I'm gonna take that program there. And so, and every other recipients are doing this. We've reached thousands and thousands of young people. And we don't only just talk to the kids, we teach the teachers. We talk to the teachers about how to teach patriotism. Now, we use the medal. You know, the medal uh, doesn't make us special, but it does allow us to do some very special things simply because we have that, that medal. And we describe to the young people that the medal <clears throat> is a symbol, and symbol is from the Greek word, which means half token, which when joined with the other half represents something above and beyond itself. The American flag, what's the other half token of the American flag? Declaration, constitution, you burn, desecrate the flag, you destroy, attack our founding documents. The other half token of the medal is courage, sacrifice, and patriotism. Now, some of the guys in the program divided that up into six things. There's really only three, and I can't get it through to them. They just won't listen to me. But there are three major other half tokens of the medal, and that's courage, sacrifice, and patriotism. And we have vignettes and stories from recipients on each one of those things. That's tremendous. And there's something, I think, really poignant about the fact that you guys made this decision to give back to these communities um, in the city of where our country was really born from, really, really powerful. And speaking of powerful, I've been uh, blessed to hear this story of, of Webster Anderson from you so many times, and each time I hear it, I think I take something else away from it, but um, I think it would be a real blessing for our listeners for you to relay this in incredible story of Webster. When I think about Webster, it just kind of chokes me up. <clears throat> I went into an all-black high school in Chicago, talked to the kids there. And as I was walking into the auditorium, I walked by a glass case. and In that case was a picture of Webster Anderson. He was a powerful black soldier. He was an uh, artillery NCO. And he was in Vietnam on a mountaintop during a tropical storm. But I asked those kids, you know, I says, do you know who this was? Do you know this guy? They didn't. And then the same thing, we went into Jimmy Doolittle's high school where he graduated and they got his jacket. He's just a little guy. And do you know what this guy did? They didn't. So I told him. And so this, what happened to Webster was he's, he's on a mountaintop in Vietnam 
during a, a as I said, during a tropical storm, the aircraft were pretty much grounded. The communists liked to attack during those kinds of what during that kind of weather, and when the air Force, air force couldn't get after them. So in the initial onslaught, they kind of overran Webster's position, and they pretty much took off both of his legs. Webster kept fighting. Later on during the battle, they threw a hand grenade into his location. Webster caught the hand grenade, and when he was throwing it clear of his people, it pretty much took off his arm. I say pretty much because it never just all goes away. There's always stuff there. And so I flew in that night, me and my crew, and we picked up what was left of Webster and his wounded people, and we took them to the hospital. Unbelievably, now I don't know how much time it elapsed between the time he was wounded and I got to him, not, not much time, uh, but they saved his life, but they couldn't save his legs and they couldn't save his arms. But as a result of the mission, Webster uh, was, was awarded the Medal of Honor. Uh, he and I became very, very close. He, 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 he thought I saved his life. I had found a way to to get in and during those that kind of a weather. And so he he knew it was me and he we became very close. And so we would travel together now and then. And we're in a school at the home of, of the artillery school in Oklahoma with talking to some kids there on Memorial Day or Veterans Day. And he insisted that he stand. Now he had a prosthesis in those days, it's not like we have today but he could still stand up. He was that powerful. And uh, he had, where his right arm was, it was a cane. Had, the whole arm was kind of a cane, but he could stand up and he could walk. And he insisted that we stand up when he talked to the kids. And so one kid raises his hand and said, Mr. Anderson, knowing what you know now, it would cost you two legs, one arm, would you do it again? And Webster raised his good hand and he says, kid, I only got one arm left, but my country can have any time they want. Wow, I mean, you talk about hushed silence in that classroom. I was choked. Mm. And, uh, but they will never forget that great black soldier, one arm, country can have it. What it defined for them forever the definition of patriotism. This is not a man who says he loves his country. This is a man who proves he loves his country by supporting and defending his country. General, let me let me ask you something about that. And I, I've always been curious. You know, uh, one of your fellow board members, uh, recipient David Bellavia, talks about his post 9-11 recipient, but he talks about how the Vietnam generation never got there they're just due from the nation as far as uh, the acknowledgement and the, the thanks that, that should have been delivered. Or your story about Webster, you know, obviously this country has made incredible strides over the years. We've still got a ways to go in making sure that everyone is, is treated equally uh, at a racial level. How do you or do you see uh, what is the, the ability to be deeply patriotic like Webster, but still knowing what he went through or his life experience or as a Vietnam era recipient, not being treated the way that 
you should have been treated, but still having this deep patriotism, do you see any challenge in reconciling it or can you be deeply patriotic and still demand um, that your country be better when it needs to be? I think, you know, when uh, we didn't notice the, the most, the, the, the most of the abuse we took was with the media. The people of America treated us great. They understood that what happened in Vietnam was a result of poor leadership in America, that we could have won it anytime we wanted to win it. So we didn't hold it. And I, I think you will find among, and there's not many, uh, it's hard to talk about the World War II or World War I guys, but I would say that the Vietnam veteran is as patriotic as any American in this country. Uh, he saw up close firsthand the evils of communism. He was happy that he was that he went up against it. And by the way, you know, communism is pretty much dead in in uh, in Vietnam. They just don't know what to do with the corpse. It's it's uh, you know, there's a lot of free enterprise stuff going on over there. So Vietnam was kind of the end of communism, uh, maybe everywhere because it began to fall after that when, when they saw what we would do. But communism is socialism, my God, incredible evil things. And I've seen them up close in Berlin when they built the wall. Mm. I've seen it up close in DMZ and in Korea. And I saw the horrible things they did to villages and village chiefs and children in, in Vietnam. So we're all happy that we could have been a part of that. My job was easy because all I did was help save lives. And I would say, again, that the Vietnam veteran, and if you look at the recipients who are Vietnam veterans, and most of them are, uh, I think you will find that they are as patriotic as any other cohort in this country. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I think the, one of the, the other aspects of the question is how you can be, and I certainly would count myself in this category of, of having a, a deep love of country, but that's not the same as saying our country is perfect, but having, you know, the, the, the patriotism and commitment to the country there to sort of stick with the country and feel a responsibility to, to make the country better. Um, and I think sometimes in our political climate, those things can get confused that if you see flaws in your country, uh, that somehow means you love it less and there's an ability to love your country, defend your country, and still want your country to be better. To talk about perfection is fruitless. The, the, the most important thing is that the design of America is perfect. It is the only design in the world, the Constitution, that will, can lead anywhere near perfection. And what it has done for this country, and as a result of that, what this country has done for the rest of the world is unrivaled by any other design, socialism, communism, you name it, in the world. And so naturally, those of us who live here are blessed to be here. Uh, we love our country because we know that, that the ultimate thing is to, that they just want to do what's right. They want to do what's good. And America essentially has done that for sure. That's great. When you when you think about some of the other uh, recipients that really stand out with what they've done after they're earning their medal, um, you know, I'm looking at a list here. I see Daniel uh, Inouye, of course, the former senator of Hawaii, Bob Carey, Eddie Rickenbacker, Woody Williams, who's still, um, 
you know, continues every day, it seems like, to take the focus that he has on himself and place it on those gold star families that have lost sons and daughters uh, overseas. It's, it's just absolutely incredible. I see the James Stockdale's name, who, of course, uh, we have Hill Perot is on our board, such a patriotic American family, and, and his grandfather, uh, Ross Sr., had uh, st uh, Stock, James Stockdale as his vice presidential uh, nominee. It's, it's, it really is an incredible list of, of folks. And in some places, like I never knew until I met you that O'Hare Airport, one of the at times busiest airports in the world, was named after a, a Medal of Honor recipient. It's incredible. Yeah. What is, what is uh, <laughs> something else? I <laughs> mean, like 96 years old, for God's sakes, and the guy does two, 200 or some things a year for the Gold Star, for the Gold Star families. And he's, he's a, a bright and shining example of what the rest of us who, who have the medals should try to do with, 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 with the special access and the special privileges that that medal gives us. But another thing I think it's important to know is that there are a whole lot of people who deserve that medal but never got it. And, and we all, the greatest thing about the medal is that enough of the people around you thought enough of you to put you in for it, to recommend you, to take the time to write it, to get witnesses, to do all those things. Otherwise, we wouldn't have it. And, and so I always, I look, my number one hero is a guy named, and we use him in this character development program to uh, define heroes for young people. What is a hero? What is essential to a hero? Uh, and this guy's name was Pappy Coleman. And I don't know if I told you his story or not, Joe. Have I? I'm not. Go ahead and tell it. Go All right. He, he was my medic in Vietnam. He was my head, the head of my medics on my helicopters in Vietnam. And they called him Pappy. He was probably 20 years old, 21 years old. All the rest of the guys were teenagers. And so anyhow, Pappy is, uh, is, a, uh, is a medic. And, and probably in the course of one year, he probably saved 3,000, helped save 3,000 lives, flew 1,500 comments. You guys said I rescued a couple hundred. I actually helped rescue 5,000. I don't know who got that. But in any event, Pappy probably in one year, I did it in two years, Pappy in one year <clears throat> probably helped rescue about 3,000 people. Ooh. Incredible medic. One mission, he jumps out of the helicopter to go get the wounded from the battlefield and a sniper shoots him in the chicken plate, which is body armor in those days, not much, but it knocked him down. He shook himself, got back, and the guy shot him again, knocked him down again. They finally spotted the sniper, killed him. Pappy got up into the battlefield, loaded the wounded. On another mission, Pappy flies in, gets out of the helicopter, and he takes a bullet right through the lips. Mm. He's laying on the ground, and the guys jump on him and says, are you, are you okay, Pappy? Okay. He says, not to worry. I just kissed the bullet that had my name on it. Oh. And those words, he is in the Aviation Hall of Fame, and so are those words. Another mission, he's with me in a minefield. Now, in a minefield, it was a tricky 
thing to get in there, but we got in there, nobody would move. Everybody was dead or wounded. Pappy got out of my helicopter, ran into the minefield and started carrying the wounded back onto my helicopter. I'm watching out through the back door of the helicopter on the controls and boom, they stepped on a mine and blew them up in the air, almost blew them through my rotor blades. I thought, good Lord, here we go. We're gonna be down in the minefield and they're gonna be dead. But they didn't go into the blades, but they did fall down. Pappy was on fire a little bit, put the fire out, went back into the minefield to get the rest of the wounded. I took him to the hospital. Now, why is Pappy a hero? Here's the bottom line, the rest of the story. He's in the Aviation Hall of Fame. He had three silver stars, three purple hearts, no telling how many air medals and other medals that he had. But he had 18 years of service. 18 years, you had to have 20 years to get a pension. His family called, he had to go home. He gave up his, he would have been Sergeant Major of the Army. He gave up his career, he gave up his pension, and he went home to take care of his family. Now, why is Pappy a hero? He's a hero because he was a good person. And we ought not to ever look at anyone as being a hero unless they are not also a good person. Many celebrities may want to meet a celebrity, but you want to be like your heroes. And Pappy, Pappy was, in fact, a hero because he was a good person. Celebrities, not always good people. So young people need to know that. The end of the story was one night I'm watching uh, my beloved San Antonio Spurs kicked Miami's ass in the final of the NBA finals. And I get a call from Rose, uh, Pappy's wife, and she says, uh, General Brady, Pappy's dying. And I've been hearing this for a long time. I had taken him to the Legion so they could meet him to their national conventions, whatever, and told his story. And so I says, Rose, yes, yes, uh, yes, we're praying for him. She says, no, Pappy's dying. Mm. And she said, and he wants you, me, uh, to take care of his funeral. Now, here I am in the height of my happiness, and she's talking to me about his funeral, just tore me apart. And he died about two or three hours later. And so he he had given some very (laughs) specific instructions on how I should bury him. Now, he was in Carolina, but he wanted to be buried in Turkey Creek, Kentucky. They don't speak English in Turkey Creek, Kentucky. But I had a hard hard time connecting with all his friends and relatives. But uh, bottom line, (laughs) we got it done. That's awesome. And he was buried exactly in the uniform, exactly the way he wanted to be buried. I I love the message message that you expressed about the importance of, you know, beyond the medal, it's uh, the importance of, of being a good person and having that individual character that, that needs to be there in order to make up a, make up a hero. I think that's great. Um, well, I wanted to thank you, Pat, for joining us. Um, I have said this before, and I'll, I'll say it to our, our listeners around the world. Uh, Pat has had a really 
tremendous influence on me since I joined this project a couple of years ago. And everything that you're talking about is um, it really it really resonates. I feel very lucky that you're on the board and one of my uh, one of my bosses, um, Pat Brady, everybody. He uh, and for the record, uh, Pat's book, Dust Off, right? That's the name of it. Dead Men Flying. It's about a dust off pilots. Dead Men Flying was the very first book about a Medal of Honor recipient that I read. I highly recommend it. Dead Men Flying can get it on Amazon. Um, and as Pat said, he did rescue uh, north of 5,000 uh, individuals um, during Vietnam, a really, really powerful, powerful individual. And you can tell just by listening to him, he, he meets that mark of being a hero because he's also a really, really good person. Thank you so much, Pat, for joining us. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Joe. You bet.